Good morning and welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. Thank you for joining us today as we talk about being prepared for conflict in our marriage. Uh, this morning I want to welcome all the satellite campuses, everybody watching this morning at Bricks and Cool Springs, at Highway 55 in Nolensville, and then at Flavor Catering in downtown Nashville. Welcome to you all. Uh, same format today, we're going to go for about 30 minutes and then we're going to take a time for questions. If you have questions, you can get those to us two ways. One is you can tweet them in. Our Twitter handle is at leadership underscore net. Or you can email them in at questions at mensleadershipnetwork.com. Someone once said that you do not find God's will for your life. You follow God's will. That is certainly true for today's guest, Rodney Wilson. He has followed the Lord through various ministry capacities over his career. He has served as a student pastor, an education pastor, a campus pastor. He's also worked with the Tennessee Baptist Convention, coordinating the state collegiate missions programs since 2000. And he served on staff at Life Point Church in Smyrna, doing marriage and family enrichment and pastoral counseling. Rodney has a heart for missions and has led teams to numerous countries over the years, including a trip to Russia in 1990, which was the first Southern Baptist mission trip team to visit Russia in more than 70 years. He has been married for 40 years to his best friend, Selma. Rodney and Selma have spoken and taught on marriage and family issues for many years, most recently in Brazil, Brussels, and Bangkok. They served as executive editors of Home Life Magazine and have authored two books, Extraordinary Marriage and The Parent Adventure. A 10-time marathoner, Rodney also enjoys biking and traveling with Selma, playing piano, and spending time with his two, grand, uh, his two grown daughters and playing with the grandkids. Please join me in welcoming Rodney Wilson. Yeah. Rodney. Didn't know you were going to read all of that. So. I know. Well, hey, thank you for being here. I mean, I really appreciate it. Thank and, you, Jeff. Uh, we just had the privilege to be together in the Amazon and, yeah. and hearing oh, you teach about marriage. And uh, it, it's amazing. How did you get in? You've done a lot of different things, but how did you really move into the marriage and family counseling role? Well, uh, basically, as, as Thomas said, I was uh, working at the Tennessee Baptist Convention doing collegiate missions, and uh, so we had to have a church to go to. So we located in Smyrna, mm -hmm. and, and we were part of First Baptist Church Smyrna, which is now LifePoint, and we taught Sunday school class. Remember that term, Sunday school mm -hmm. class? And my wife and I taught the nearly and newlywed Sunday school class for like 10 or 11 years. And so we kind of honed our skills together about that. And uh, we got older and older, and those newlyweds got younger and younger. But we still loved connecting with and helping young marriages get off the ground. And so we just kind of fell in love with that concept. And then our pastor came to us finally one day and said, hey, man, we want you to come to be on our staff. Uh, you've been teaching Sunday school for a dozen years now, but we want you to come on our staff and be our marriage and family guy and, and uh, do the counseling for us. And so that's been like 17 years ago and uh, wow. still blessed. So we, we've been a part of the church for like 28 years. Yeah. And so it's just kind of flown by like that, you know, but that's kind of how we got into it a little bit. Wow. So, so as you, you've met with so many men, I mean, and done a lot of counseling and, yeah. and leadership all over. What, what are the issues you think that most men face? Jeff, I feel probably one of the most, this is a little bit different twist, I think, maybe than what you might hear from, from other people. But I think one of the issues, one of the main issues that I'm discovering about men is this issue of self-esteem. 
this issue of insecurity, uh, this issue of intimidation. Now, they wouldn't admit it, necessarily, particularly the intimidation part, but people out of insecurity, they will go into control mode, and, and they feel threatened by their wife. They're going to control that situation, and, and we're taught an awful lot by, you know, our culture today. You cover up. Big boys don't cry, you know, and, and certainly men don't cry, so don't let them let anybody know they're getting to you. So you put up this big facade and, and it's not really who you are, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's, you know, they put on the front or they go into control mode or whatever, but it's really kind of getting down to the real man that God created. Yeah. And that's hard to do, you know, yeah. but that's a real issue that men struggle with, I think today. You yeah. Know, so. so you, um, I mean, you're a marathoner, you know, you've always been. In that, was, in... that was yesteryear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as a man, do you think it's more difficult to be a man and to live out God's purposes today as a man or back years ago? It's a great question. Uh, here's how I think it's changed. I think it's always a struggle living, with, with living for the Lord to be a godly man. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one, one of the, the issues today that is just absolutely, we've always had a trouble, have, had a struggle with lust, for example. You know, it's, it's, it's been age-old kind of struggle that we've had. But, you know, the access to sin, the access to opportunity for lust, pornography, you know, uh, is, is in so much more accessible today than it has been in yesteryear. So the struggle is the same, I think, but, but the, the access is wow. amazing. And so it's, it's uh, I remember the old hymn, uh, I need thee every hour, I need thee. How, how prevalent that is today, how, how real that is today, that we need to die daily, but not only daily, but we need to die hourly to the, to, to the Lord and bounce our eyes and guard our hearts and keep our eyes only to our, our, our wives and that type of thing. But, but that's, to me, that's a real change in, in today's society as is, is opposed to yesteryear. You know? Yeah. So. yeah so. How, do, how do you protect yourself from that? As a man, how do you protect yourself from the pornography or the things that are so prevalent today. I mean, I think, I think you could say that about anything. I mean, if you had a gambling addiction or, you know, back in the yesteryear, it wasn't as prevalent, yeah. you know, but it, yeah. all these things, it just seems like our society is amped up and especially targeting men. How do you protect, how do men protect themselves from that? Uh, I read a book years ago. It was called Porn Nation. And it was, it, the first part of it was this guy's testimony. And, and he, uh, uh, he uh, had gotten hooked on pornography mm -hmm. and gotten involved with another woman and all that stuff and lost his job, lost his marriage, and almost lost his life to this. Found Jesus Christ in the middle of it. And so now he's going on talking about the issues and telling his story and everything else. And I love this statement. He said, I don't know everything about addictions or anything like that. He said, but this is what I know. What I feed grows mm. and what I starve dies. And he said, that has worked for me. That with the Lord, of course. I've always said, I think the easiest point to resist temptation is when it first comes. You know, you, you're at the, no, you're at the checkout stand at a Kroger or Publix or something. Yeah. And you see that magazine and you bounce your eyes away from it. That's the easiest time rather than look and look and look and, and then it becomes lust, you know. So you're not responsible for that first look. You can't help it. But the thought that's in your mind, the entertainment of that thought is when it becomes lust and everything. So the easiest time is, is you don't feed it. 
Yeah. You know, you continue to feed the other things. You feast your mind on your, 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 your wife, for example. You feast your mind on the Word of God, on, on, on the Lord. And again, it's, it's for some folks, some of us, it's an hourly struggle kind of thing. Yeah. But, but, you know, remember what you feed is going to grow and what you're going to starve is going to die, you know, so. That's strong. I mean, I mean that, that is great. I mean, I'm making a mental note right now because that yeah. is so true. You I like know? that, yeah. And I, I like that a lot. Uh, talk about that because obviously things like that impact marriages. And you've, uh, yeah. you've counseled many couples. I mean, over the years, I can't yeah. even imagine how many, you've had probably thousands of couples uh, that you've counseled or you and Selma together have counseled. What, what do you see as the main issues that marriages face? The main issues marriage is faith. I, it's, to me, uh, it's, it's being self-centered. Mm. It's not dying to yourself. It is, it's not giving to the other person. It's not natural to do that. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an ongoing kind of thing, which, which what fleshes out in terms of uh, involvement in, in pornography involving other people or just simply the conflict that can't be resolved because I'm not going to give up. You know, I'm not going to give in. I'm holding my position and I, I, I kind of thing. Mm. That's the natural kind of thing. So to, to be Christ-like in our marriages is not a normal thing. It's not a natural thing to do. And so that's that, you know, that again, that's a very broad kind of a thing. There's conflict and there's sex and there's other issues, but I think that's you know, in terms of baseline, that's the major thing. It's, it's taking your eyes off yourself and giving to the other person, I think. Uh, I do a lot of uh, premarital counseling, and in there when we talk about sex, I'll say, uh, I'll say, this is not about you. It's about taking your eyes off yourself and giving to your mate. And uh, in doing so, it's almost like you're trying to out-pleasure each other. You know, you're trying to outpleasure hers. You're trying to, and if you lose at that, that's a pretty good way to lose. You, know? yeah. you can't please more than your mate does. But it's again, that's godly. That's biblical to give to the other person and focus on the other person's needs and everything. And again, that's just not a natural thing for us to do. So that's kind of a continual struggle that we work with about about couples. You know, I think you, wow, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, right? Because it's all about me, 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 and we bring yep. that into our marriage, yep. you know, and what, what is she going to do for me? How is she going to meet my needs? And then, yep. oh, they're not meeting my needs. And so then that friction yep. Uh, yep. comes. Yep. What do you think are the keys to having a great marriage? Uh, well, obviously, you know, you probably know the stats in terms of, uh, um, uh, the divorce rate inside the church and outside the church, they're pretty close, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but having said that, I think the, the foundation of the marriage is the creator of the marriage. You know, the, the Christ has to be the center. Uh, we're not talking about perfection here, not a, not a perfect life that you live together, but, or, nor a perfect marriage. Those don't exist inside of heaven. But, but we're, we're talking about just a, a, having a good, strong, solid, growing kind of a marriage there. Uh, for that to happen, I think you, you, you have to submit to the Lord first and then to each other. Uh, I think you know, inevitably you're going to have conflict. Mm. And uh, I heard someone say this the other day, and, and, and it really, really is helpful that if, if, if uh, two people, husband and wife, agree on every single thing you know, across the board, politically, theologically, philosophically, no difference of opinion whatsoever, one of you is unnecessary. I like that. I think that's good. What that says is that there's value in the difference between the two of you. But then the difference is where the conflict happens. 
So the conflict is inevitable in, 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 a, in a marriage. It's not a sign of an unhealthy marriage. It's a sign that the husband's got a pulse rate, the wife's got a pulse rate, and you're trying to do life together under the same roof. That's going to cause some conflict, very naturally. Nobody sinned. It's just the difference there. You're going to have the conflict. So the resolution of that conflict is one of the huge keys to having a good, healthy marriage as well. Don't panic. Don't blow a gasket when your wife is angry at you or when you're angry at, at her. But it's just simply uh, the re- resolution of that, I think. Walking with the Lord and dealing with the conflict thing, I think, I think probably it's one of the, some of the, the major components of having a, having a good marriage. You know, so. Yeah, I, I, I love that because I think a lot of times we think a great marriage is conflict-free. And then yeah, we go, yeah, oh, yeah. my marriage is great because we don't even know. You, you can have a great marriage and still have conflict. You have two Absolutely. people. so. Many times that's a, that's a part of that marriage. And yeah. how, I think as men, we have to prepare for that, right? We have to be prepared mm-hmm. for conflict in marriage. How do we prepare just knowing that we are going to have some conflict in marriage? Yeah, I think, I think to begin with, I think I, I would encourage you to have a game plan. <laughs> Let's think through this, okay? It's not a matter of if you ever have a difference with your wife, but when you do. What are you going to do? What's the game plan then? The first thing I would say is, is tell your marriage or tell your mate, each of you say, okay, we got, it. we got an issue here. You're angry. I'm angry. Okay, you state that. You get that on the table. And then you go to your corners and you calm down. And we call that getting the anger out of the conflict before processing. You, you, you calm down. Okay, I've not stuffed it. I haven't suppressed this thing. I've told her I'm angry. Okay, now why am I angry? Sometimes I'll even, when I go off and cool off like that, I'll, I'll, I'll pray. I'll say, okay, God, help me to articulate this now. We're, going, we're about to have a difference of opinion here. We come back together. But I'm calming down all the same time. And then I come back together, and we come back together, and then we talk about it in a calm voice rather than yelling and screaming. You know? uh, I think that's huge in terms of preparation for for a conflict with your mate. Preparing is not, not again, it's not being pessimistic, not being doomsaying or anything, but conflict's gonna happen. And when it does, how am I gonna respond to it? Um, I think that's so much better than yelling at each other. Uh, you know, you can say, you know, you, you know, your wife looks at you and you say, okay, I'm angry, but I need to go cool off for five minutes and come back and you could say, no, we're gonna solve this right now. We're gonna be a lot closer when, when, when we get through solving it, you know. It's not going to happen when you're yelling at each other. I'm a big proponent of saying nothing. I don't think so. No conflict in marriage ever. What? There's nothing positive, productive. Nothing ever gets resolved when you're yelling at each other. You know, uh, can you hear this wife saying, honey, about our argument last night, I really didn't understand your point until you yelled just a little bit louder. <laughs> then I got the point, said no wife ever. You know, yeah. it doesn't happen that way. You know, if you, your volume is what really helped me to see the light. No, it's not going to happen. Calm down because in the heat of battle, you're going to be more prone to press for a victory over her mm. rather than a resolution. You're going to be more prone to say things you'll regret later. And you've probably done that. I've done that before. And once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it doesn't go back in again. Calm down first. Then come back together, okay, you still got the conflict, but you don't have the anger in the conflict. So you can talk about it and you can think clearer, you can see clearer, and you can even begin to maybe even understand what her point is rather than just talking and yelling and screaming and everything. So 
you know, that's kind of, kind I love of the point that. there. I love it's, that. Get the anger out of the conflict. That, yeah. that was, that was a, that's a great line. It's the biggest area of growth in our own marriage because my wife and I, her name is Selma, we were both stuffers. And I mean, I'd come home at seminary when we first got married. And uh, at the end of the day, I'd say something and she snapped back and I snapped back and whoo, nothing. I mean, literally nothing. And we'd watch a TV program, have dinner, maybe a goodbye kiss in the morning, but literally no words. And then by that afternoon, we'd forget it and we'd be together again until the next company. Totally dysfunctional, you know, not, not knowing that was right. So, so we didn't yell a lot. We just didn't do anything, you know. So we had to learn some principles and God placed some principles in our lives. And it really helped us to, to get some things on the, on the table. I stand before you, I sit before you today saying, I, I just praise God, 40 years of marriage, guys. And, and we've learned through the principles. And there's nothing that we have that's unresolved right now. We still have our issues from time to time. But I've heard her recently say the same thing. That's a freedom. You know, that's a real blessing that there's no baggage there right now. Not that we got the perfect marriage, but, but there's no, no underlying issues of bitterness building up and resentment and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, so have the conflict, but be prepared for it. If it happens, have your game plan. And what are you going to do? You're going to say, okay, I'm angry, but you got to give me a few minutes though. You know, she might say, what do you need? Five minutes? No, this is the biggie. I need an hour, you know, so let's talk about it, you know, and, and then, but then come back together again. One other point, if I may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. No, you're uh, on a roll. That's what I'd say. Um, uh, there, there's times when I was, I remember just recently I was counseling this husband and wife and she's sitting here and he's sitting here on, on my couch and, and, and I say, John, I said, go off into the bedroom and cool off first before you talk. And he interrupts me and he's like almost yelling and he says, I do that, Rodney, but she follows me in there. And I didn't do a thing, but I just simply turned and looked at her. She had the best comeback in the world. She said, I do that, Rodney, because he never comes back and talked about it, you know. And so I looked at her. I said, you let him go into the bedroom. I looked at him. I said, and you come back and talk about it. It's you know? so, you know, there's just some basic principles there. They had the idea about wanting to, to get away and calm down, but, but you got to, you got to come back and talk about it, you know, after you calm down as well. You got to resolve it, don't <laughs> yeah, you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, kind of for men, our two responses usually are, are fight or flight, right? And so, yeah. you know, sometimes we fight, we just get angry or we don't want to fight with our wife because we love them. And so yeah. we just leave. You know, and we think somehow magically it's going to be resolved and all it does is build up and build up. And if we can have a mindset to say, wait, there's another alternative. How am I going to work with my wife? How are we on the same team? Right. You know, so how instead of having those two as our only responses to say, okay, I want to be prepared because there will be conflict that comes and I want us to resolve it and I want us to be better because of that. So that's great insight. I think a huge part of, of, and again, this is from a recovering suppressor, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Still got a tendency to want to stuff it, and I can't do that. But a uh, huge part that we learn, a great opening line, is, is how, how do you initiate the conflict? The great opening line for us is sometimes I literally point in my chest, and I'll say, honey, I need your help. You know, you just said something very important, that we're teammates. Yeah. We're on the same team. And, and I, you know, if I start this way, you know, you did this and you'll always do this and you made me so angry and blah, blah, blah. That's going to put her on the defensive and we're attacking each other. But if I say, I need your help, you know, then in her mind, she comes around on my side 
And as her helper, we as a team, we're attacking the problem rather than each other. And it, so it all depends on how you started. You come on in gangbusters and you don't calm down and you're yelling and you're pointing, you're accusing. That puts her on the defensive and here we go, you know, just attacking each other. Uh, but there's a problem that needs to be resolved, but you ask for help first. That's not a weakness, guys. That is a huge strength, you know. Mm. You don't say it in a happy voice because you ticked off at her. But you said, I need your help with this. We got to get something resolved. I got to calm down, but let's talk about it later, you know. So how you initiate it. Uh, kind of sets the tone for how the rest of the argument goes, how yeah. the discussion goes. Discussion. <laughs> well, I love that you've been mm. married 40 years. You know, and I, I love that. You, you know, it's awesome. It's a blessing. It yeah, is, it yeah. is. And, and I'm sure it wasn't always at the peak, but then there were some yeah. challenges. And, but, you know, you were setting an example for us. I mean, I, I prayed for 40 years and be great. Mm. And I know Selma. I mean, and she is she's smart and wise. You know, she's yeah. type A. She's driven. And so I'm sure that you guys have had to learn, you know, how do you manage that conflict in your marriage? Yeah. And it sounds like that's, you've done that in a healthy way. I'm a huge proponent of, Jeff, each conversation affects the next conversation. Wow. And so when, when we were, both of us were stuffers like that back in seminary days, and, and the first two or three years of our marriage we were like that, uh, and to learn the principles were really huge about that. But when we found that, that uh, you know, we could have a decent conversation, a disagreement uh, in a civil kind of way. And I felt her respect all the way through it. She felt my respect. I didn't go for her jugular, didn't attack her or whatever. Mm. That's my teammate. But, uh, but when I felt like we could do that pretty good, then it builds confidence for the next one we have, you know. And so now we can go at it in a confident way. We're okay. We're fine. You know, it's not the end of the world, not the end of marriage. We're just angry, you know. And so kind of, you know, to, to build that and couples that cannot get along, maybe you don't argue with your wife today. You know, maybe it's just, you just, you didn't know how to do that. Uh, sometimes I prescribe this, take a real simple, trivial disagreement you have, real low stakes kind of a thing. The obvious one is the toothpaste tube, okay? You know, she always grabs the middle of that toothpaste tube and she's wasting money, guys. You know, she just really, really is. And you blow a gasket every time that happens, okay? And so, you know, we all know you need to start at the very end of it, you know, be economical and squeeze it all in. And she just grabs it and you just scream at her when that happens. And I'll say a good, simple compromise there to resolve this issue is she can say, okay, honey, I'll try from now on to squeeze the end of the toothpaste from now on. And you say, all right, well, if I see that you squeeze it in the middle, I won't blow a gasket. And when I won't scream and go off, fly off the handle or whatever about it, you know. Now that's a simple kind of thing almost silly, but here's the importance of it though. You solve that as simple as that is. The next time, okay, you say, honey, I'm angry. Got to have your help with this. I got to calm down. And she's thinking, you know what? We solved that toothpaste thing. Okay, let's talk about it. So then mm. you can kind of, so each conversation affects the next conversation you have. So, so it kind of builds in that way. It's literally, you can come through a conflict situation and, and, and build trust and come, through a deeper, come to a deeper level of intimacy when you've resolved an issue. You know? So it's, to me, the, the conflict's not the bad guy. It's, it's 828 kicking in. You know? Romans 828 says God works in all things for good for those that love him. Even the, the, the uncomfortableness sometimes of, of conflict. You know? He can redeem that and make you guys stronger on the other side of it. So. That's so good. That's great. <laughs> and the toilet paper goes over the top, by the way, too. Obviously, yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. we agree so, with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
What about as fathers? Because we not only have, you know, there's going to be conflict with our spouse. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes us better, actually. I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, yeah. we both agree all the time. We're not necessary, one of us. So, but what about with our kids? Because as dads raising kids, there's going to be some challenges, right? And there's yeah. going to be some things that we face. How do we prepare for conflict even as, as dads? Again, your, your questions, both of those are excellent. How do you prepare for conflict? Uh, with, with your mate and how do you prepare for conflict with your kids. Number one, just like I said with, with, with uh, uh, your, your, your marriage, uh, you're going to have conflict with your kids. You know, they're going to push the boundaries and you're 95 years old and all that, you know, the way they see you. They're gonna, they're, their nature is that they're going to push the boundaries and everything. So, so don't, again, don't, you know, just completely lose it when you have conflict with it, that's going to happen. So it's, again, not a matter of if, but when, how are you going to respond? And your preparation is very important about that. Kids have a, um, they have kind of a Popeye mentality. You remember Popeye, the cartoon character, the Robin Williams character in the movie? You know, you know Popeye says, I want what I want when I want it. You know, is I, I, I kind of a thing. And, uh, uh, and that's, that's where they are, left unattended, that three-year-old's going to have that 12th piece of chocolate. You know, he'll throw it all up, but he's going to have that because I want what I want what I want. So, so you got, you know, so there's going to be conflict because the scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, not in the way he wants to go, but in the way he should go. So when that happens, you know, again, you're not a bad dad. You're not, you're not a bad parent because the, you know, your, your son's disobeying or pushing the boundaries or whatever. He wants what he wants. That's his nature. But our job is to train up in the way he should go. So to me, at the risk of sounding simplistic here, guys, in terms of you just trust God, everything will be fine. It's not that, that you know, simple. But your walk with Christ hmm. is going to give you the mind of Christ, the wisdom to know on this end of the spectrum, when do I let something slide in what he does? And guys, with your children, your son, your daughter, you do need to let something slide. You don't need to be on them about every single thing. Sometimes boys will be boys and you just let it go, and that's all right. So how do I have the wisdom to know when do I do this as opposed to, you know, when do I need to sit down on them? And you do need to discipline them sometimes, you know. So it's not a completely hands-off, you know, boys will be boys or whatever completely. You don't, you, don't, you don't shirk your responsibilities, but you don't come down on them on every single time that they look at you or whatever wrong, you know, whatever. So, so the, finding that balance there is the challenge that to me is predicated on, you know, your walk with Christ. You pray for wisdom about that. There's a lot of, you know, as a dad, you make tons of decisions, particularly when they're younger, you make tons of decisions all the time, you know, and you got to make some snap decisions sometimes, and you won't always do it perfectly. That's not the point, but, but, but again, you walk with the Lord saying, God, help me to be the kind of dad you want me to be today. Help me to learn, help me to grow, help me to make sure my kid knows that I love them. And sometimes that love is in laughing at yourself when they make fun of you. Sometimes it's cracking down on them because they've disrespected you, you know. So finding that balance right there, your walk with Christ is going to help you strike that balance to, to know when to let go and when to, when to crack down, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's so good. And I keep coming back to that, what you said earlier too, about taking the anger out of the conflict. Yeah. You know, yes, and yes, I think with, with kids, a lot of times… It, you know, they do something in your snap decision, like you were saying, mm -hmm. is immediately to, to jump. But if you could, 
somehow get the anger out. How do, you, how do you prepare for that? You know, because whether you're at your kid's baseball game or whether you're at, you know, something and, and, the, and your, your child does something and your immediate response is, okay, I want to take the bull by the horns and make sure that they get this or learn this. But how do you get the anger out of that conflict there? Well, I think, again, mm-hmm. your anticipation, and not that you can anticipate every single right. situation, but, but uh, if you can, you know, I tell, I tell parents, if you can count to 10, heck, if you can count to three, sometimes just <laughs> a little bit less than just that knee-jerk reaction where you grab him, you know, or, or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, just, just sometimes just a little bit. If you can develop that kind of mode of thinking, from mm-hmm. now on, I'm not going to be totally reactive Sometimes you need to be pretty swift in your, your response because, I mean, if they turn around and just scream in defiance of you, you got to respond to that, of course. But, but again, just to catch your breath, sometimes just a little bit, to keep it just a little bit in perspective. You know, your kid's not the enemy either, you know, but you're the one that's responsible for, for training and making sure that they don't defy you and that type of thing. So, it's, so just if you can just, again, catch your breath enough to kind of back off just a little bit. Sometimes you can say, okay, I cannot let that comment go, what you said about your mom. And I really want to, you know, I really want to deal with it right now. Uh, we're going to come back in a couple of minutes and we're going to talk about this, you know, yeah. do what you do. Yeah, if you can, if you got that kind of time, fine. But if not, then again, just strive for some kind of just a little pause there to catch it in perspective, you know, and then you go ahead and discipline, you know. So, How do you and your spouse be on the same page when it comes to that discipline or that conflict? Because I think sometimes that creates more conflict, right? And how do you uh, help couples to deal with, you know, the conflict that they have in parenting, but to do that together? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Sam and I were married seven years uh, before we had our first daughter. And so the time Jennifer got up to be, you know, I don't know, another year and a half or so before she was time, you know, two years before we began to discipline her slightly and then more, you know, as she got older. That's eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. And I thought I knew this farmer's daughter that I married, you know, from East Tennessee. But as we started disciplining, that, that farmer's daughter's roots came out and my city slickler roots came out. So at eight or nine years of marriage, the marrying had to continue, you know, yeah. the blending had to continue. And I think basically it's, it's, you, you talk about that offline, you know, not in the heat of the moment right mm. there, but you say, okay, let's talk some things here. This, this deal again, it's kind of preparation. You know, there will be time to discipline. What do you think? And, and, you know, if you can deal that with, deal with that without a situation hanging over you, that, that can be important, you know. So I think we need, no, 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 no. No, they can go to bed later, you know, they, or, or not, or, or whatever, you know. You work out your differences if you can in preparation and saying, okay, let's talk philosophy here. And, yeah. and if, it's, if you just dig in your heels and you can't work through it, you know, you might need to see a counselor about that, kind of talk and resolve some issues about that. But, but it's, it's probably communication's huge about that because parenting, of course, can, can, can make it a real division, you know, in the marriage and stuff. But try to get, try to give, strive to get on the same page about it. And then, like I said, if you need some help to talk with a, a counselor, can help you sort some things out like that. So. I love that, Rodney, because I think that's so true. You know, it's like you're married and you're, and when you get married, it's just like you're, living with your best friend, you know, and so it's yeah. great. It's yeah. wonderful. And then when kids come into the picture, it's like everything changes, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you start to see two different parenting styles and discipline. And true. then you got to be prepared for that. And how do, you, how do you handle that? Uh, I think 
conflict also comes around parenting. I think conflict comes around sex a lot of times too. Mm -hmm. And for men, you know, we're all about that, you know, and sometimes women aren't as uh, much for that. How do you, how do you help men prepare for conflict around that area? Uh, I think again, anticipation because Mm. there's the difference, you know, it's, it's, it's Jack and it's Jill, but it's also man and it's woman. Yeah. And it's Jack and all of his background and Jill and all her background. And so, you know, there, there's, again, anticipate there's going to be some differences. Uh, I like, again, talking with newlyweds or premarital counseling when we talk about sex. I like to look at it, you say, let's look at this whole thing as one continuous experiment. I encourage them to, to, you know, after they test the product, so to speak, come back and evaluate it to talk about how your intimacy is going with each other. Talk about it. And then you make adjustments and then you test it again. And it's not like finally we had the perfect experience. We can do everything exactly the same way. As it, no, yeah. that's not going to happen. So, so you test it and you look at it as one continuous experiment. To me, that keeps you attracted to each other. I, and it keeps you involved and leaning in toward each other, you know, rather than obviously considering outside sources or whatever. So, so I think that's, you know, if, and again, the word I would say to newlyweds or to, to premarital couples is when you get married, when you get involved in the sex issues, be patient with it. You know, it is a continuous journey, you know, and see it that way rather than, you know, we're not going to be happy till we finally get this thing down perfect. No, it's, it's a walk together, and it's a journey together. And if you communicate about it, then it can help you resolve some of those things along the way. You know, mm, so. That's so yeah. good. I mean, I think for guys that we're prepared for conflict in our, in our marriage or with our kids and just some yeah. of these big issues that, that we face and that, you know, every marriage faces, what would you say? Because it, at Men's Leadership, we try to help men be <clears throat> spiritual leaders, um, what do you think that means to be a spiritual leader of your home? What it doesn't mean, guys, <laughs> is that you're supposed to know everything. Mm. That you're supposed to know all about the Bible, have every theological question answered or whatever. Again, I come back to the original statement in terms of the intimidation factor. You know, Jeff does know everything about the Bible. We understand that, you know, so let him do that. You know, but no, seriously. Um, uh, don't be intimidated by pastors or Bible study leaders or your small group leader or anybody else that does it. But you walk with the Lord in your own way. You you seek to to love. Uh, I, I guess my my statement is is uh, you strive for growth, for progress, but don't feel like you've got to know it all. You know, uh, in terms of being a spiritual leader in the home, uh, you know, Jesus always says, you know, you have heard it said. Mm. What I say unto you like this, and uh, to be the spiritual leader of the home doesn't mean you've got to know everything. Doesn't mean that you've got to preach to your family every single night in terms of, you know, a 30 minute message from God's word or anything like that at all. You don't have to know it all, but basically it's Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said that the servant, excuse me, that the leader is going to lord over everybody. He's, I say unto you, the greatest among you will be servant of all. So being a spiritual leader is being Christ-like, and that is having a servant spirit. You serve your family. You serve your wife, you know, and you let your kids know that you're serving your wife. Gary Chapman, a friend of mine, how's that for name dropping? Okay. Uh, (laughs) You know, wrote the five love languages and all those kinds of things, and he he makes this statement. He says, uh, he's told me this before. He said, I asked Carolyn, his wife, he said, 
you know, every morning I get up and before I leave to go to church and work or to go ride or whatever, he says, how can I serve you today? You know, mm. Gary's a very humble man, you know, and he's written all these books. He's famous and all that, uh, but he still has that, that servant attitude toward his wife. That's being a spiritual leader. You know, this is having that kind of Christ-like service uh, uh, attitude to it. So, yeah, our wives are to submit to us, but it doesn't mean we're the masters and they're the slaves. That means they're supposed to give us the respect, but then we're supposed to love as Christ loved his bride, the church, and he gave himself for it. So we give. We give service to our mates. We serve our families. And we're, if there's going to be any service in your home, as a spiritual leader, you're going to set the tone of that. You're going to be the lead servant, if you will, you know, in terms of your family. So that's, that's my kind of take on the, the spiritual leader part. Yeah, I think, I think that's so good because I think a lot of times we hear that you're to be the spiritual leader of the home and you're thinking, uh, I don't know, you know, and, yeah. and am I, I supposed to a give a sermon? Am I supposed to, you yeah. know, but I think it is. It's that service. It's that we're going to church. This is yeah. what our family's about. Um, you know, I heard one time a, a, a guy speak and, and he was talking about if you go to any situation, you can identify the leader in the room by the one who's the calmest. He's the one who, you know, mm. and, and I always thought, man, there's something to that. And, you know, it's not that we have to, you do it my way. It, it's that yeah. calm, the presence of Christ and that love. Our, our pastor has this statement sometimes. He said, guys, if you have to tell your wife you're the head of this house, you're not the head of this house. <laughs> you, know, you have to play that card. Don't play that card. You, you define your role by the service that you do, you know, rather than I'm head of this house, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I think that all plays in, right? I mean, I think, yeah. you know, a leader at a company or a leader, you know, in a, in a, of a country or whatever, there's always going to yeah. be conflict. Yeah. And the leader is the calm one, the I one like who that. likes like that. to, and I yeah. think in our homes, that's the call for us. Yeah, that's good. So, yep. What advice would you give us about being spiritual leaders? Um, very similar to what I've just said, and, and that is uh, do not expect perfection out of yourself. Uh, uh, it's our, our walk with Christ, our walk as spiritual leaders is not about perfection, mm. but it's about direction, though. It's, it's mm. we, we strive to learn more about Christ, and then we say, oh, here's another part of my life I need to bring in line with how he wants me to live my life. And then we fall off and we get back up and we resume our pursuit of Christ again because it's not about perfection, it's about direction. It's a process. Philippians 2, talking about continue working out your salvation. You know, we're <laughs> following Christ, but we don't do it in a perfect way. But if you, if you fall off, you get back up and you resume the pursuit of that. To me, that's it. Don't beat yourself up if you do fall off. Get back up and resume your pursuit. Uh, all of us do that. You know, you've seen, you know, the Bible's full of major household names in, 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 in the Scriptures about people that fall off and they get back up. David, redeemed, mm. and then God said he was a man after his own heart, you know, mm. kind of thing. So, so, you know, don't set yourself up for perfection, you know. I don't think we serve a God that, that's very tolerant you know, that kind of winks at our sin. You know, boys will be boys and all that kind of I don't think so. But we serve a patient God. And wherever we are in life, James chapter 4, and you double 4 and it's 8. I want you to remember the reference of it. It's true where it says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. 
If you're close to him today, you're enjoying that. That's what God wants, but he doesn't force that upon us. But if you're not today, maybe you're here for the first time or watching this for the first time, whatever. Wherever you are in life, it's an unconditional thing. It's not as long as you haven't done this particular sin, if you come near to God, you'll come. No. Or as long as you haven't been away from God this long, no. Wherever you are in life, if you make an effort to come near to God, God will respond to that. And you, in today's 21st century, 20, you know, mm-hmm. 17, uh, you know, we need the nearness of God in our lives to be the kind of spiritual leaders we need, the husbands we need to be, the dads, all those kinds of things. We need that. But again, don't set yourself up for perfection. But wherever you are today, choose to come near to the Lord and he will respond to that. I love that. And I just appreciate everybody who's here today or watching because I think that's an indication that I want to be a spiritual leader. I want to grow and I want to be a man after God's heart and impact my marriage, impact my children and generations. Rodney, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, Again, you know, you ask that to a lot of people, and, and I'm going to give you the standard answer. I want people to remember that I was a follower of Christ. I ran after the Lord. Hmm. Uh, Lord knows I didn't do that perfectly, but that I, that I had a heart for the Lord. Hmm. And I was a good husband. I loved my wife. I loved my kids, those kinds of things. And I don't minimize those. Those, those are the most important things I want to be remembered for. But I would say this once again. I hail back to Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. And in that he says, if you don't know what your love language is, look at what you like to give to other people. Often that's what your love language is as well. I, I'm an affirmer. <laughs> I mean, I've had people come in and sit on my couch with the gosh awfulest situation. Can you say that in church, gosh awful? Yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. You know, the gosh awfulest situations, you know, horrible, stupid things they've done. And within the hour, I'll give them three or four, maybe five affirmations of what they've done right. I just, it's just like throwing a cat up, they're going to land on their feet. Somehow I do that. I like to give affirmation. And I, I think I'd like to be known as, as an encourager, someone that, that, that really wants to affirm people and give them some hope when they come to counsel. Now, I, obviously, I've got to speak the truth to them. Mm. Had a couple of tough situations last night. Had to really get in, their, in the grill and, and, and talk hard to them. But, but overall, I'd like to be remembered, I think, as, a, as an affirmer and an encourager. Uh, someone that gives people hope. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Praise God. I mean, that'd Thank be you, great man. for all of us. Okay. So I think we got time for a couple of questions. Uh, Rodney, we had a couple come in here. Uh, the first one is when my wife became a mother, her focus changed. What is a healthy way to be good parents without having our children rob us of the relationship we had before they were born? It's a healthy way to be good parents without having. Okay. It's, it's, that's a common kind of an, an issue. I mean, it's one of the last part of you know, that having our children. Okay. Uh, your relationship does change when a new, newly, uh, a new kid comes on, onto the block there. Uh, things do change about that. I think communication is huge in terms of talking about your own situation rather than you don't do this. Here's what I need. And it's a balancing act there. And I think when, when uh, uh, the newlywed, newlywed, the newborn comes into the family, the dynamics change. It's a whole different kind of picture. Responsibilities change, and things have to be shared, particularly as the kid is very, very young. The, 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 the maintenance of the child is, is really high, and all the, 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 the surface talk, the small talk stuff of diapers and pediatricians and all that, you know, it, it kind of skyrockets for a while, and you can't really spend the time that you had with each other. Uh, in the midst of that, I would, I would strive for 
a time or two here and there to, to date along the way and uh, just kind of set some precedent about that. Her focus has changed, and it needs to, because to, to, you know, not to do anything at all with the, with the baby or the, the mm-hmm. children would be negligent. You don't want to do that. But once again, that there's, there's, there's a, yet another balance you've got to strike there. Uh, you can't be totally negligent of the marriage either. So there needs to be that balance there. I would say from a standpoint, I would make a lot of I statements. Here's what I need from you. How can I help in, in, in sharing the responsibility of this newborn, but how can we have some time as well? Can we carve out a little time together? You know, and so, so to, to talk about that, and once again, a counselor kind of help, can help, help navigate that as well, you know, yeah. sometimes. So, I think your exact communication is the biggest key in there, right? Yeah. And a yeah. lot of times, guys, you see that shift happening as the, as the wife starts with the kids, yeah. And you just get frustrated, you're, you know, and then that allows bitterness and resentment to come in and yeah. you, you, then it's gone too far. But the communication, I think, is the big thing. Yeah. And then even counseling or bringing other people into that situation just so you're not alone in that. Yeah. That's a great insight, great now thought. You, now, you play that out later on if all you do is focus on the kids. Yeah. You know, then that's going to cause some trouble down the road. Just a few years ago, we went through the empty nest. You know, both of our daughters are, are gone now. And, and, uh, uh, and I was the marriage guy at the church and everything else. It didn't matter at all. I looked at my wife and thought, okay, what, what have we got here? You know, the kids are not here anymore. Nine after nine, the kids are not here, just us. And what we had invested along the way is what we had at the very end, you know, at the very end, when, when the nest emptied, you know. And so, so you do have to feed that along the way. And that's tough to do sometimes because you do have Little League. You have school plays and, and just a lot of stuff you need to be a part of the kid's life. But you need to carve out some time along the way, though. So that's, that's important. So. I'm glad you said that because I, I've seen that a lot, too. It's like once the kids grow up, then, you know, if, they, if the marriage never spent time together, then they look at each other like, well, who are you? Yeah. You know, yeah. our whole life has been built on the kids. And mm-hmm. you, you can't do that. You've got to carve out time yes. for your yeah. marriage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great, great word. Got another yeah. question? Yeah, here's the second one, Rodney. Um, I like to resolve conflict by talking things out. My wife would rather pull back and hope it goes away. How much time is the right amount of time before bringing back up a situation we disagree on? Uh, Again, as I was saying earlier, it's a great question. Both of us would pull away and we would say, yeah, we're angry. You're angry. Yeah, we need to talk about this sometime. And we would go away and just <laughs> never come back and talk about it. You know? So the, the, stating the fact that you got a disagreement doesn't get it resolved. You know? and so, so we had to, for us, we had to set a time. Let's get the kids to bed. Then we'll come back together and talk about this. Or I'll see you at the couch at nine o'clock. Sometimes I'd even go for a run, and I'd run at a little bit faster pace, perhaps, because I had a little, you know, adrenaline going. But but then we'd come back together and we would talk about it. So sometimes we had to be intentional about about saying a time that uh, uh, that we can talk. But once again, if she's really reluctant and just hopes it goes away, and she's very reluctant to come back at all, you you deal with that very carefully. You know, you respect her. You may throw, you may even throw an affirmation in there from time to time. Honey, I love you very, very much. I am so glad you're my wife. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You know, we have a blessed marriage. Now, here's why I'm angry. See what I'm saying? You, 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 it kind of keeps the, the, the anger and the conflict in check. 
that it doesn't sweep you away off to talk about getting separated or something you, neither one of you ever want to do. It's not the end of the world. You're just angry at each other, you know. But, but to build up her confidence, if she's very reluctant to coming back and talking at all, my wife was that way. And I literally had to hold her hand while I was telling her why I was angry with her. She needed that to begin with because she was very insecure about that. Basically, what we're saying is this right here is stronger than what we're angry about. We're just angry, you know. So, so to build that up, and again, you know, if she has a good positive experience of working through that anger situation, conflict that way, then each conversation affects the next one. She can perhaps feel a little bit more confident down the road, you know. So. Fantastic. Man. Rodney, thank you. This has been so good. Oh, I mean, I've been taking mental notes right now. It's just like my pleasure. awesome, awesome. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for Rodney, God, and thank you, Father, for the wisdom. Thank you for his marriage with Selma. Just pray a blessing on them. And I pray, God, for all of our marriages, um, for every man who's watching right now, Father, and I pray that, God, we would be um, godly in our marriages. I pray that we would have great marriages. I pray, Father, and just knowing that there will be conflict that comes, but, mm-hmm. but to not let that become a, a, a foothold of Satan, but, God, that we would make that a place where we grow stronger and deeper, Father, in you and with our marriage and with our kids. And I pray, Father, that we would be men after your heart. So, God, give us wisdom beyond our years. Give us joy in the journey. And, Father, help us to set our eyes on you. We love you, God, and thank you for today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 So good. Awesome. Thank you, Rodney. That was, that was really good. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, guys, as we close today, I want to remind everybody that we'll send out the Men's Leadership Network Rewind email. Uh, it'll probably hit your inboxes this afternoon. Again, it's got a leak, link to this interview as well as a link to the website where there's almost 40 different interviews over the last couple seasons. Uh, uh, it's great content. Feel free to forward it on to peers or if there's a topic that you're, you're interested in, struggling with, uh, we probably have some, some content there for you. So, uh, hey, next week we're uh, welcoming Pat Moore. Pat's a buddy of mine, buddy of Jeff's, and he's going to be talking about us, or talking to us about how we can be prepared financially. So uh, Pat is here locally in Nashville. He's the branch manager at Lawing Financial. And we'll get started again with breakfast at 6.30, and the interview will start at 7 o'clock. Hope you can join us. Thank you.